This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't make me have to convince you. This is episode number 41, and in this episode, I sit down with Pastor Christopher Van Hall of Greater Purpose Brewing Company in Santa Cruz, California. Chris talks to me about how they dealt with opening during a pandemic, about the complications they endured on the road to finally opening those doors to the public, and how we convinced the board of the church to sell the old sanctuary and use the money to open a brewery. I completely understand what Chris went through with convincing the board. I myself find it extremely hard to get people just to click that subscribe button. Not even my own mother wants to do it. Well, that's just something I'll be talking to my therapist about in our next appointment. Lucky for you, you don't have to wait till then. Because the newest episode of the Brew World Order podcast starts right now. Sit back, crack open a beer, and you enjoy that podcast. Hey guys, this is the Brew World Order podcast, and today I'm with Pastor Christopher Van Hall of Greater Purpose Brewing Company in Santa Cruz, California. The Greater Purpose Community Church and Pastor Christopher Van Hall always had a different way of looking at Christianity and breaking down the walls of its old beliefs. This, of course, included drinking beer. They even went as far as to donate all their Sunday donations to charities they cared most about. The only issue was the old sanctuary was just too much to maintain for a group of their size. So Christian's congregation decided they needed to find a way to make a bigger impact to donate while continuing to have a place to gather. When they finally decided the brewery was the way to go, they started to search for the perfect location. They found an old bookstore they thought would be perfect, but plans just happened to fall through. Ultimately, it was a true blessing in disguise because not too long after, they wound up taking over East Cliff Brewing Company in Santa Cruz. Unfortunately, the delay meant they had to open during the middle of a pandemic, but officially they wound up opening the doors to the public in December of 2020, with plans to donate to multiple charities, including Planned Parenthood, the Diversity Center, the NAACP, Save Our Shores, and the Homeless Garden Project. And Chris Van Hall is here with me today. Chris, how you doing? I can't complain. Never does any good. How you doing? That's right. That's right, man. Uh, I'm all right. So, living in California, were you, did you were you always a beer guy, a craft beer guy, or? Oh, I'm Irish on both sides. So oh, perfect. Being a beer person is genetically infused <laughs> to my. My, my carbon data. <laughs> right. have to be. Right. And uh, how did the idea to open up a brewery, of, of all things, come about for uh, for your church? Uh, you know, I had done some studies about church history, and one of the groups that fascinated me was Trappist Monks. You know, Trappist Monks. Yes. Uh, still, to this day, Chimay brews in the EU, and all of their profits go to orphanages. And I've always thought that was an impressive model. I used to joke with people when they would come over and they would see like a couple six packs in the uh, in the fridge, especially church folks that didn't think Christians should drink, which isn't in the Bible, by the way, but they thought it was. Right. They'd be like, what is this? I'm like, oh, that's my tie, you know? And I would explain what they were doing with the money. And uh, so, so nothing that we did at Greater Purpose was revolutionary uh, as far as history is concerned. It, it's just unheard of in America. Um, and the prohibition probably has a lot to do with that. Uh, the history of the prohibition in the right. states, especially in the church after the prohibition. Um, so that that was one inspiration, and the other was that our bass player at the church, uh, a gentleman named Mike Kotowski, he's from Canada, good friend of mine, and 
was just an excellent brewer and we got together and he hadn't brewed in a couple of years and we started brewing some stuff up and there was a local organic homebrew competition that was uh that was running locally and they also gave printouts from expert brewers with suggestions on what to augment in your brew and how to make the recipes better and when we entered that contest we didn't expect to win we were just looking for printouts on how to make our beer better and we got second and third place awesome in two categories uh and you know for us that was kind of a good indication that wow we're, we're pretty good at this we're making good product maybe one day you know we should look at opening a brewery together and and then you know i always had that in the back of my mind and then when we started running into complications with our building it was just so expensive to maintain we had 80 people that we grew into we only had eight people in the church when we started grew into 80 but the building sat 500 it was just way too big for us and we have that value like you mentioned of donating to charity right. uh, and that's when you know my knowledge of Trappist monks and then my awareness of my friend's brew skills kind of merged together in my mind I was like wait a minute what if we could open this space uh, for a, a brewery so we talked to the board about it the board was on board uh, pun intended right. 110% <laughs> and they were probably more excited about it than I was uh, in our tradition I, I can't just go in and you know, make changes. I have to I have to get board approval and actually don't get a vote right. in the process. But they were excited about it, which, you know, is a rare thing in church boards. I don't know if you're familiar with that process, but they, they don't like change too much. And ours kind of embraced it. Uh, so I'm lucky in that regard. It's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, so, I mean, it seemed during the process you, you ran into – a lot of obstacles along the way, uh, including um, opening in a pandemic. Uh, can you tell me uh, about that and uh, probably what was one of the hardest things to deal with when opening your brewery? Yeah, I mean, gosh, it, it was just an obstacle course. Um, you know, getting getting the approval from the board to do this, from the church board, uh, I thought was going to be the most difficult thing. That ended up being a cinch. Like I said, they were all all for it. Um, so I thought the, the toughest part of the journey was behind us when that happened. Right. And man, was I was I wrong? We went through the process. We found great contractors locally that were highly recommended. We got a really good interior designer. Uh, we connected with brew equipment, uh, you know, wholesalers, and got a really good deal on an amazing system. We were going to have the biggest brew system in the county. Had this, you know, amazing plan for a, a brew house downstairs that customers could look down on uh, as they as they drank and had their meal. We had a restaurant upstairs with a walk up coffee window, like New Orleans style coffee shop in the front, so you could just walk up and get your coffee and beignets made out of spent grain from the brewery. Right. Because we were going to repurpose everything, so it was just you know this really grand project in our mind and it had a hefty price tag on it we were looking at about eight hundred thousand, according to contractors okay in my mind i thought about a million you know because it's never as cheap as they say right. it's going to be so always like, always think bigger right that increase 30 percent increase that's probably about where we're going to land so went through the process got the furniture picked out got the paint picked out and the week of the groundbreaking they opened up the floor and the plans that the city had for the discharge line was wrong. They thought it was a uh, nine-inch discharge line for the brewery. It was a three-inch discharge line. Oh, boy. 
And at oh first, boy. you know, it kind of just proved my my uh, hypothesis correct that it was going to cost more than we said. Right. And I was like, oh, no worries. You know, we just have to replace that line. Turns out that that wasn't the only line that was smaller than what the city's plan said. It, it was all the way off the street. So to do the initial concept, we would have had to excavate everything through gas lines and internet lines and, all, you know, like electrical lines uh, and replace the discharge all the way out the street that was going to cost at least an additional $1.4 million. Wow. Um, at minimum. And that was that was well beyond our entire budget. We, we needed money in the bank to make sure we could, you know, get through that one-year hump right. of the first year of business. So, I mean, it was just heartbreaking, man. I mean, this process took nine months. Right. Yeah. To design and to secure a space and to get the lease and to, you know, get all of our equipment picked out, get everything, you know, laid out perfectly and, and uh, get the architect to, you know, map out where the, the hood's going to go in the kitchen and, and the ventilation's going to go in the brew house. I mean, it was a lengthy process, weeks and weeks of sleepless nights and to see it fall through. It was really difficult. I, I'd say that was probably the most difficult thing to endure. But then right after that, you know, we cleared that hurdle and we decided to gather ourselves. We were faced with even more obstacles because we found the location, East Cliff Brewing Company in Santa Cruz, and they had amazing English-style ales on tap. And they didn't publish that they were selling their business at all. Right. Uh, a friend of mine happened to say that the gentleman was considering it, but he would only sell to people that were going to brew English style ales as well, as well. And we were going to have cask ales as part of our original model. Okay. So when he heard about what we were doing and the charitable aspect of what we were doing, he was really excited to retire. Um, so he kind of passed the torch on. And the day that we signed the purchase agreement was in March when the stay at home order first went into place. And I'm not exaggerating. We signed the deal at 11.30, and by 2 or 3 o'clock, that stay-in-place stay order went into effect. Every escrow office in the county, in the tri-county area, was closed, and nobody was taking restaurant brewery deals. We had to wait until August or September. We had to wait, you know, six additional months just to find an escrow office that would take it, and then we had to wait till closing, which was another two months. So... Not only do we have that nine or ten month delay in the beginning of the process, uh, and we wasted about a year, year and a half total, we ran into another eight month delay right after that. So uh, that was that was really difficult. And then we opened in December in the middle of a pandemic. Oddly enough, that was one of the, the least painful struggles that we encountered. Right. Wow. It sounds like an awful lot to endure. <laughs> a lot of heartbreak, I'm sure. Oh, my goodness. Man, it was. It was. We're finally open, man. Couldn't be happier, yeah. but, man, was it. I'm sure that that, that moment you were able to open your doors is probably, like, a, the biggest sigh of relief ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it was, but it wasn't. It, it was definitely, like, the realization of all of our ambitions hitting me at once. But at the same time, I did mention this. Uh, we had the same interior designer that was going to ta- tackle this project at Eastcliff. Okay. And when I contacted them for the job at Eastcliff, they were like, ah, you know what? This project's been delayed so much. I've got other things conflicting with this. I've got to push this back 
six months. And I said, you, uh, you know what, dude, we'll just decorate it ourselves. And it wasn't their fault you know, right. that we had the glaze. Uh, so there was no bad blood there or anything, but it meant that we had to be interior decorators too. So that was yet, yet another obstacle that we had to overcome is, you know, yeah. how are we going to, how are we going to give this place a facelift that was much needed at the time? And we got lucky. It looks great on the inside. I'm not sure if you've seen the pictures, but, uh, of before and after, but it's definitely a major upgrade. We get a lot of compliments on that, but that was a shot in the dark. No, I haven't sure. seen, I haven't seen the before and after though. I would, I, I actually uh, have to look that up. Come uh, to speak of it. Man, we got a copper wrap bar, you know, um, we got a, some nice, uh, some nice art, you know, around now, some gorgeous furniture. So it was, it came together. Didn't know if it was going to happen or not, but it did. Who was actually, are you, were you the one, that, like, I know you went to the board with everything. So were you in charge of spearheading the whole project? No, um, I, I guess I kind of came up with the concept. Uh, and the board, the board had a committee that initially was the steering committee. Uh, and a few of the board members were on that committee. Uh, I've always been a non-voting member. That's just a, a value that I have, uh, and I, I think it's unethical for ministers to be voting members of their own board. I just I don't agree with it. You you have influence when you speak. You you don't need a vote to, and it keeps it keeps ministers in check. There's too many ministers that have access to all financials and stuff like that. Right. And that's just not how we roll in our tradition. Um, so we we have financial officers and things like that to make those decisions. Uh, and with this brewery in particular, we had a ad hoc committee. It was the steering committee, uh, and they would make suggestions to the board. Uh, they were all local business owners, and the board would kind of make decisions from there. And now the the brewer uh, that I mentioned before is, for all intents and purposes, the general manager of the brew house. And then we have a front house manager. And then I, the only thing that I do that I spearhead is marketing. Uh, so I do social media marketing. Okay. And... Uh what are, you, what are your strategies for marketing? Is it just basically social media or do you go about other ways? So, yeah, social media has been a good one. We won Best New Brewery in Santa Cruz County, uh, which shocked us. We didn't even know we were entered. That's awesome. Uh, we just got a notification that, hey, you won. And we are like, we didn't even know we were in. <laughs> uh, so that's going to get published in a local paper here. And that's a pretty significant um, marketing strategy just to build on that uh, it's called the good times awards here and it's a big it's a big to do right. uh, but we've got a you know kind of an online uh, promotional commercial coming out with some footage that we're really excited about here in the next couple weeks and then other than that it's just word of mouth you know customers coming in we want them to have the best possible experience knowing that they're doing as much possible good with every dollar that they spend and we're kind of seeing the fruits of that grow the business because they're taking the word you know to their friends plus our, I, I think our merch is pretty sharp looking people are wearing it I was in the store yesterday and I saw somebody wearing one of our hats and I was like ah, well I don't even know this person they're wearing our merch so right it's a uh, awesome yeah we're getting it yeah I know you know you're saying people getting their their money's worth uh so what you're doing is when when somebody is buying uh, a beer you're giving them a token uh, to put into yep, a, a-, a charity box, which is the charity of their choosing. Uh, who came Who came up with that idea, and, and kind of how did that all come together? Uh, we've seen 
seen similar models in other businesses when they do special events or specific nights for charity fundraising. Right. Um, so initially, we were actually going to have a a click option in the point of sale system. Uh, we ended up not getting that point of sale system, uh, but that's when just the token in the box thing, you know, kind of came in our mind. We've got these little wooden nickels that we uh, give each of the customers, and they're always fresh from the pack uh, because of COVID. Right now, we don't reuse any. Right. Of them. They're so cheap at the, you know, it's not like they're they're sharing germs or anything. But we give each customer one. Uh, whether they purchase something or not, if they're having a product in our facility, every person gets one vote. Doesn't matter how much you spend, every person gets a vote. Right. True democracy in action, right? right. And um, you get to pick between one of five organizations that you want to support. And the NAACP, the LGBT Diversity Center, uh, Save Our Shores, the Homeless Guard Project, um, and uh, the, and I said uh, Plan Parenthood too, right? Plan Parenthood, yes. The, so, that we raise funds for and so far we haven't made any money because of the pandemic but we're still donating regardless even now that we're not in the black yet right. uh, we are on the precipice of being in the black now that we're coming into spring and now that covid regulations are are loosening people are feeling a little more comfortable going out and spending money right um but yeah that that's always been kind of the main drive um behind the project is giving everybody a vote so they don't have to choose between leisure and charity because I feel like in a place that is expensive and uh, as California is I'm, are you from California? No I'm, I'm not I, I'm born and raised in Queens raised in Queens and you, so you're <laughs> you're probably all too familiar with the rising oh yeah of, of like, course you know of course yeah it's insane it's I mean, here, a two-bedroom apartment will run you $3,700 a month. Jeez. Um, My God. So a lot of working-class folks are working multiple jobs just to barely get by, just to be hand-to-mouth. And, you know, asking them to donate to charity is almost like salt in the wound because I think a lot of these people genuinely would if they could. They just can't. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, And if they do have extra money they'll go spend it on self-care and have a night out with their friends just to stay sane so they can wake up on Monday and do it all over again. Of course. But if we eliminate that choice between leisure and charity, you don't have to choose. You can accomplish both in one facility. But I think that's something in the age of such economic disparity that could be, that, that could be hopefully replicated in other, other businesses, but also attractive to customers. Right. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I completely agree. So when you decided to open a brewery, how did you guys go about finding the capital to fund the business? So we, we sold our sanctuary okay. uh, that was built in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. Um, we inherited this when we started the church and we um, took, you know, this value of church is not a building, which is something we say a lot. It's more about what you do and how you care about people and when you show up for those that are marginalized and oppressed. That's what big church is. So we didn't really have a, a lot of uh, adoration for sanctuaries. I mean, it was nice to have. But right. It was never something that was a requirement for us. Uh, but we saw it as a resource that we could use to use it to seed a business that could generate way more pop- profits for local charities because it's 
one consistent thing that I always heard from these organizations is they don't need volunteers. They don't need you to donate your desk or your chair. They have a lot, so much stuff that's just in storage and they have more than enough volunteers. What they need is finances uh, because their expense is growing too, just like the cost of living is. Right. Um, so yeah, that's how we funded the project. We were like, oh, this is a great opportunity to raise more money for them. Yeah. What so? What would you say is uh is the hardest adjustment you've had to make so far since the brewery opened? Ooh, the hardest adjustment. Um, one of the more difficult adjustments for me personally, uh, and this is because of the pandemic. So, but you know, I guess it's somewhat related. Okay. We've been doing online worship service. Um, for the past 12 months. It's just not safe to bring people together right now. Right. And what we've come to realize is that a lot of our congregants actually prefer it. Um, and they like the convenience of just tuning in on my podcast, which is basically my sermons. Right. Uh, whenever they can, as opposed to being, you know, at a physical location every week. It's just way more convenient for their schedule to have access to this. So I guess one of the difficult things for me is I've never been trained to do that. Right. Um, so I went from being, you know, in the pulpit to being on the podcast. Gotcha. And that's been a bit of a transition for me. Uh, so what we do is we have fellowship times at the brewery where we just come together and have lunch. Uh, and, you know, it's great because it supports the business too. And people know that they're supporting charity. Uh, and we just hang out together on a weekly basis. And we're, we'll probably do a monthly worship service, like in-person worship service, uh, when COVID regulations aren't a thing anymore. But I guess for me, knowing that weekly worship services aren't going to be a thing that I do anymore is, it's a, it's a bit of a loss, you know? Right. Um, I, I'm sure some people felt that way when, you know, uh, certain, certain traditions and, and rituals and cultural uh, normatives kind of died out as things progressed. Of technology. course. Like, I've heard stories, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like, oh, you know, back in my day, we used to do this. And it's, ah, now, now I see what older people were complaining about, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, I, I get that lost now. Um, as far as the business is concerned, I, th- I think for me, the, the biggest uh, transition is just not being there to micromanage every little thing. Okay. I felt like I needed to in the beginning. Um, so I'm, I'm having to trust my managers more and, you know, take a giant step back uh, compared to what I did when we, you know, first opened the business. Right. Uh, so that's, that's been a little difficult for me, you know, because it's, it's your baby, especially when you went through so much to get it open. It's really hard to just kind of... Uh, let go of the range, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what are some qualities you, you think that, that make you a good business owner? Oh, well, <laughs> so I, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I don't own it. I have all the responsibilities and none of the benefits because the board technically owns it. Right. Um, but I think, I, I think what makes the board as a whole good business owners is the willingness to embrace change and not only to embrace it and just accept it but to actually fashion it to your business model being able to have the foresight to see where culture is going right uh and and then 
not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of your, of your, you know, your clientele. Like, how can you help them? What can you provide them? And that's always been something that the, the board has uh, brought to the table. And I don't see that in every business. In a lot of businesses, I see a hesitancy to change. Uh, and I see resistance to evolution. Because this is the way we've always done it. Right. It's always been this way. Why change it? Like, no. Right. Um, if it was the questions you're asking, then you're asking the wrong ones. And you're burying yourself. So I guess embracing innovation um, at all times and, and in every way is paramount. Gotcha. How do you yourself define success? Oh, geez. Uh, for me, it's, it's about ethics. Um, we may not ever make a ton of money, and that's okay, because that wasn't the point to begin with. It was about generating support for other people that are doing good. Right, giving back. So for me, yeah, giving back. Um, there's there's a scripture that says, uh, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Uh, if I can do those three things, I think I'm successful. So, um, I'm sure there was a lot to deal with um, during this whole period of opening and, you know, selling the old sanctuary and then, you know, all the stress, all the stress built up. How important is a mental break for you from, uh, from everything? Oh, it's crucial. It's critical. I uh, have honestly, you know, noticed that toward the end of that process that um, I was not practicing self-care the way I should have been. Right. And I felt it. And uh, to anybody that's going to do anything, you know, innovative or you're going to start your own business, you're going to seek out a new venture, I would say you've got to build in at least a day off a week. At least one day. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, People always talk about, oh, I can't afford to. You can't afford not to. Because um, you will break mentally, physically, or both. I've been there. Um, I've been there. You yeah. need you need a couple of days off. I know. I know it firsthand. Yep. And what I <laughs> even though it's a church owned business, we're very progressive. So we, we call it fuck off hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we all have them. Yes. To the weekly schedule. And we just know, hey, don't. Contact them on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever, you know, an individual day off is. It's their fuck-off day. Right. So, unless that place is burning down, don't pick up the phone. And very important. You can wait. Very important. Uh, so, what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? Oof, man. Um, so, I, I grew up, you know, drinking pretty standard beer. I mean, Sam Adams was like the most out, uh, out there beer I'd ever had for a while, but I was in the rural South. Right. And, and the first, the first craft beer that I ever had, uh, I mean, I thought I was getting fancy when I was doing like imports, right? Like I was doing like Who Garden and uh, a few of the other um, imports like, um, oh geez, some of the Ephemere by uh, Unibrew, which right. is a great beer. Um, but the first American craft beer I ever had was 
by RJ Rockers. It was Son of a Peach beer. Son uh, of a Peach. It had actual peach pulp in it. It was a wheat beer. Uh, not necessarily my favorite beer now, but compared to what I was drinking, it was just amazing. Right. So I didn't know beer could, you know, could uh, step up the game like that. So that was one of the first ones. And then I had a, I had a Holy City's Plus Mud Porter, and that's where I discovered my deep uh, adoration for all things dark beer. Um, so yeah, Holy City, Terrapin, and RJ Rockers, uh, Magnolia, definitely rock my world, man. Some great, great brews. So, uh, what's next for your brewery? What does the future look like? Oh, geez. Um, well, we are hoping to expand into ciders and meads at some point uh, because we we know how to brew those as well. We just don't have the license to do so. So, in the future, uh, once we can acquire that, I think that's going to be something on the horizon and. We're also talking about opening a kitchen uh, with a, either a food truck, so either have a food prep space in the brewery with a food truck or an actual functional kitchen. That's down the road. But you know, long term for the brewery, I would love to see this replicated. I would love to see progressive churches that are left of center politically, that are open and affirming for LGBT folks that don't believe scriptures all literal. You know, that believe in a woman's right to choose, that are on the progressive side of politics, which is rare in right. this country. I would love to see other ones that are struggling maybe pick up this model and we could coach them through the process and they can replicate it in their community and raise funds for local orgs in their cities that are doing the work. Yeah, that sounds cool. So if somebody came to you and asked you for advice, for opening their own brewery, what would you tell them? I'd say it's going to take you twice as much money and three times as much time as whatever you assume it will. Uh, so to be ready for that. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a set trajectory in mind about how the opening process is going to work. Hold on to that really loosely, though. Because there's going to be a lot of changes ahead of you. And if you're like me and you like being scheduled and planned and you're a control freak, just be ready. Yeah. Because that, uh, this environment's not conducive to micromanagement at all. And you just kind of have to take things as they come. Get comfortable with change. <laughs> In- <Yeah>. Immediately. <laughs> yeah. Get comf- if, you're, if you're controlling... Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> because nothing works out like it's going to, you know, like it's supposed to on paper. Yeah. Nothing does. So did you happen to have a funny story for us? Yeah. Um, so one of the funny stories that I have about the brewery, uh, that I think it's the oddest thing I've ever seen. Um, I've always just, you know, uh, played at bars for fun. Uh, with my my buds, uh, played music in bars, saying, you know, in bars. And had a friend that owned a bar, and I'd just go up there to the board to play music in it in his restaurant and bar. And I call, so I've been in the music scene for a while, and you know, if you're playing music in a bar uh, late night, you're going to see some things go down that aren't always wholesome. You're going to see fights break out, and things like that. Right. Usually involves intoxicated people. Well, we had a gentleman that came to the brewery. He was stone sober when he walked in the door. Um, and he had two beers, a 
ACL, so our hopped logger. Okay. And he grabbed two of those. They're 4.4%. And they're 16 ounces. So, you know, nothing strong or crazy. No, not at all. And he got about a beer and a half in. And then the dude was just gone. I don't think I've ever seen somebody <laughs> with that little of a tolerance in my lifetime. Um, so I don't know if he just hadn't eaten in like a month or what the deal was. He was just And... <laughs> inside and he walks up to one of the bartenders I'm there getting some photos for the Instagram and uh, Facebook pages and I, I overhear this conversation where the guy is trying to ask a question about a brew and then he just stops um, at mid-sentence and he's totally incoherent, he's slurring his words, he's stumbling a little bit and my bartender was like, hey sir, are you okay? I, I, do you have your keys? You didn't drive here, did you? And then that's when the guy just starts flipping out. He gets super offended, right? He's like, wow, you think I'm drunk? I'm not drunk. And he's, you know, getting aggressive. And um, he's like, where's your manager? I want to speak to your manager. So I just happened to be behind him. I was like, sir, is there a problem? He's like, yeah, this guy. This guy's my problem. He's insulting me. He's insulting your customer. And I was like, well, he's just doing his job. He's making sure you're safe, you know, and he's cutting you off right now because you're clearly intoxicated. And he wants to make sure that you were taken care of. Because he cares about you. He's like, oh, wow. He's like, you're doing this because you care about me? <laughs> like, this guy needs a promotion. This guy is awesome. He's amazing. He's like, you're right. I shouldn't be here right now. I need to go home. Man, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. He's like, you guys are amazing. And he's even come back in a couple other times. I have never seen a situation like that play out in that manner. I... I was kind of watching the situation and I kind of gave the other bartender like the wink, like, Hey, you grab one arm, I'll grab the other. And we'll just kind of pick this guy up and escort him out the door. Um, cause I thought it was going to go sour. I mean, this guy went from, I'm not drunk, even though he's clearly drunk to, Oh my God, thank you. I should not be drinking right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, That's hilarious. Fun, fun little, uh, tap room. Yeah. Uh, I, story. I wish it took me that little to get drunk. <laughs> So uh, we have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. It's five quick questions, uh, beer related. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. One of your beers you would recommend someone try? Out the gate, man, our chocolate cherry porter is amazing. Our lime goza is amazing. And if you're into more of the hoppy beers, we have a Imperial Black IPA that is just stellar. Strong but smooth. Those would be the top three. Okay. Uh, favorite brewery other than your own? Mm, Sante and Darius, man. And they're local, too. i got to shout out to Sante. Um, don't know if you ever heard of them or had their beer. They're like the number three brewery in the world. And we share a county with them. Really? It's an amazingly talented, beautiful beer-making bastard. <laughs> 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 so talented. Yeah, I mean, uh, next time I'm in California, I'm definitely going to make my way to, uh, I'm definitely going to do a, a, a beer, a brewery hopping trip because, you know, I don't get out there too often, but especially with all the pandemic and stuff, but I definitely want to uh, make a trip over there and just drive around 
stop at a couple places, pick up a couple things, you know? Yeah, they're 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 my favorite West Coast. If I'm on the East Coast now, my answer is different. It's got to be it's got to be Holy City, man. Holy City and Charleston's the best. Holy City, part of me. Yeah, I've heard of them. I've never tried their stuff either, but uh, that's probably that's probably another one that I've been dreaming about. Their porters, man. You really? So, uh, favorite style of beer? Belgian quadruple. Belgian quadruple style. Okay. Uh, barrel aged, imperial, or both? Both. Both. Yes, me too. Uh, and you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? My own or someone else's? It, whichever one you want. You know, so we talked about barrel aged, imperial, or both. Right. Uh, my brewer brought me a homebrew batch of his barrel aged imperial stout 14 percenter Oof. one of the best beers I've ever had man yeah and uh, you know I was quarantined in my house for two weeks and I had a case of that right and yeah I didn't make it, didn't yeah. make it. I was a <laughs> victim of the pandemic man I, I went through that yeah well, <laughs> Chris that's that's all I got for you man all right, bud. Well, hey, it was wonderful talking to you, man. And yeah. hopefully when you're in the area, you come on out and I'll get you a pint on me. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast here with Pastor Chris Van Hall of Greater Purpose Brewing Company in Santa Cruz, California. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Anytime. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Christopher Van Hall of Greater Purpose Brewing Company in Santa Cruz, California. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Give him a follow on social media while you're at it. Also, check out Christopher Van Hall's podcast called Revved Up Theolytics. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Also, be sure to check out our social media accounts for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.